0: Father, we, we need you. Uh, we need your spirit. Um, we, we recognize that when we come together, um, there's things that you intend to accomplish here. Um, it's not a mistake that we have been gathered together today. Uh, we believe that you're a sovereign God and in control of all things. And so we, we understand that then it's not a mistake that we're here today. And so we pray that we'd be able to focus on your word. And I, Father, I I pray that I would be able to communicate in a way that's helpful, that is true to your word, um, and that honors Christ, and that we would see him exalted and honored and worshiped and magnified in our time together today. And so we just ask that uh, you would help us learn of you, help us to be in awe of who you are. Lord, that's one of my goals. I, I, I just want us to leave here with a greater sense of awe of who Jesus is and why it's so important that he is the perfect prophet. And um, There's a lot to think about this Christmas season, and I, I pray that right now uh, you would help us. So thank you. Thank you that we can pray to you at any time, that we have access to God that we have access to you through Jesus Christ and you know, we're sinners we're people who have sinned every uh, every one of us have sinned every day this week and and yet still we can still come to the holy father because of Jesus Christ and and I, I pray we'd never take that for granted and I, and I ask that as we as we pray together here in these times that there would be meaningful times of spending time with each other going going to you together. So thank you. Thank you that we can do this. And so we're asking for your blessing. We're asking for your guidance. And um, we want to please you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thanks for doing that. You know, when when I was younger, I always wanted to go skydiving okay, it was something that i i I always wanted to do. uh put a picture up there kind of looks a little bit uh fun of jumping out of the back of a, a of a plane um, but uh, I don't know if that picture's coming up or not, but there is a picture somewhere so um help Mike's going back to help thanks Mike. opening illustration it's all right. No big deal. Um, so I want to go skydiving. And I always thought it would be fun. I always thought it would be fun just to go up in the sky, jump out of the plane, and, you know, and and see the view up there. And just thought it would be really, really good. Now, for some of you, just the thought of skydiving makes your, your palms kind of go sweaty a little bit and and, and being up there. Well, that desire of mine um, has waned over the years <laughs> considerably. Um, I don't think I could do it. Um, I, I don't think I could do it, do it now. In fact, I kind of think that I probably would end up like landing in a wrong place or something like that. And, you know, it, it, would, be, it would be bad. Now, the reason why I bring up this whole idea of, of skydiving or parachuting is that I think sometimes uh, when we go in these topical messages like this, it's almost like we kind of parachute into a text and, and we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on around us. We, we land in a spot, a very specific spot, and then we're just kind of, okay, what's going on? Or sometimes that's our, our knowledge of the Bible. Our knowledge of the Bible is such that we don't, uh, we don't understand the whole context of it. So, I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. And so, what I'd like to do is, I'd like to take just a second here and kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on in the book of Matthew. That way, there you know that when we read chapter 12, what's really happening here. Now, it appears in this background of Matthew, it appears that there, he's writing to this predominantly Jewish audience, okay? And so he's writing to people who, that uh, Jesus was coming to, and he was proclaiming uh, the, the kingdom there we see. He's the promised Messiah. This is one of the reasons why Matthew gives us the book, is to show us that Jesus is the promised Messiah, but also to show us that there are many, particularly Jewish leaders, who, who just rejected Jesus' Messiahship, okay? And so this is what's going on here. But in the course of the whole book, and the book is divided into, most, most, most scholars would say it's divided into you know, around a structure of five different discourses that Jesus gives. And some people make allusion to, the, to the, the Pentateuch and all those things like that. I don't know. All I'm saying is that when you study these five discourses and you study the events that Matthew chooses to include into his book, you see what's happening here is that Jesus is putting out there as the uh, um, uh, the uh, if we don't get it, it's okay. It's all right. Are we good? Okay. So it, Jesus is putting himself out there as the promised Messiah, and then the rejection. But then we're seeing here of uh, of how that the, then Jesus is uh, rejected. But then there's proofs given. Okay. I'm totally off. Uh, totally confused at this point here. So what, what's up there now? Okay. Where are we at? where are we at in it? Just show me where we're at. No, no, it, it's good. So, are, are we, okay, there, that's where we're at. Okay, all right. All right. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I'll teach for any slide. Doesn't matter. So, so there we go. Good job. Okay. So, in the course of this argumentation of the, uh, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ... What we see is that we're seeing that there, there's the, the three roles of prophet, priest, and king that uh, that Jesus fulfills, and that's put out there. Matthew chapter 12 is where we see one of these times where these roles come out, okay? Now, it's important to understand that in Jesus' day, everyone was looking for a Messiah to come, and in order for it to be the Messiah, big M, not little M, because society, Messiah means anointed one, okay, and so for in order for it to be the Messiah, that they were looking looking for that was promised of old that everyone had their eyes peeled for and they were waiting and waiting and waiting and there have been 400 silent years from the close of Malachi now to Matthew all this is happening here that they were understanding that this Messiah had to be a prophet he had to be a priest and he had to be a king in some way for that okay and they were looking for this okay and so I have a quote here by a 19th century uh, theologian from Holland, uh, J.J. Van Oosterzee. Now, one of the reasons why I uh, uh, put that quote in there is just because his name is cool to say. But he says this, Three offices are necessary. Christ must be a prophet to save us from the ignorance of sin, a priest to save us from his guilt, a king to save us from dominion in our flesh. Our faith cannot have a firm basis in any one of these, Any more than a stool can stand on less than three legs. Then another guy by the name of Barrett, he says this. He says, man needed a prophet to reveal God. Man needed a priest to reconcile him to God. And man needed a king to reign to subdue every enemy of his soul. And so, what we're going to do over this next series here, we're going to see how Jesus Christ is the perfect prophet, priest, king, and then we're going to close with how he's the the perfect man. So, in order for us to understand the significance of this, though, we need to understand what the role of a prophet was, okay? So, let's just remind ourselves a little bit of that. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give this, like, super simplistic definition or idea of the role of a prophet. You could spend lots of time digging down into all the new nuances of how the prophets were used by God throughout the Old Testament and throughout the whole scriptures. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of give you a a big basis, and then I'm going to come back and show you how Jesus fulfilled that. So the role of the prophet, first of all, was that he was God's representative from uh, himself to man, okay? And so One of the things that you see a theme throughout all of Scripture is that there's a need of a mediator between sinful man and holy God. Okay, Because God is so holy, there has to be something or someone more specifically that acts as a mediator. Because God is infinite, the only thing that we can know about God is what he chooses to reveal uh, about himself to us. We have the Word of God. And then the ministry of the prophets of old were to represent God to man, okay? So this is, now this is in contrast to what Pastor Mike's gonna be talking about next week in the role of a priest, where it's the opposite, where that was representing man to God, okay? The priest represented man to God, where if the prophet was saying the other direction, he was representing God to man. So that's just the general idea of it. Now, there there is two ways that they, they particularly had their ministry. Again, there was other things here, but these Two broad categories of the role of the prophet, the first of all was the idea of like the supernatural knowledge or foretelling when we think of, of prophets, we think of them predicting the future, and we think of all the different prophecies in fact, in our advent reading that we just had here that Wendy read for us um, and that Sue Miller wrote for us, I, I appreciate it. she writes those every year for us and does a great job. but she reminded us of the fact that there was these prophecies that then came true later on and a lot out of the Bible. remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the, in the sermon series that you asked for it, and it was about, can we trust the Bible? One of the evidences that we put out there was that there was a lot of prophecies that had come true, and they had come true several hundred years later on. And so we see that that was the work of the prophets, okay, in a lot of ways. So telling what was going to happen in the future in a way that was very specific at times. So it proved that it had to be supernatural knowledge, okay? That's a lot of times that we think about the term of the prophet the role of a prophet. But there was another role, and that was, and just to keep the, you know, uh, an easy way to remember it, forth telling. So we had foretelling and then forth telling. That's like proclamation or preaching. They would go out, and they would just preach, and they would go, and they would tell people about God and teach people about God. It may not be things about uh, what's going to happen in the future, although that was part of it, but sometimes they just simply had discourses or, or, or sermons, if you will, that they would give to people that was telling God's message to man, okay? So this is just a broad, large, high-level view of what the role of a prophet was. Now, again, this whole sermon series is how Jesus is the prophet, okay? The perfect prophet in this, and then the perfect priest and perfect king and perfect man. But we're talking about the prophet today. So first of all, there's this idea of the role of the prophet. But I wanted to show you that, that there was this great anticipation for the prophet, okay, that's coming. Throughout history, people were looking forward to this messianic prophet, and they were they were saying, and there was an anticipation, and I wanted to show you that it wasn't just a king that they were looking for, because a lot of times, we look at back in history, and we say that this is what they were looking for. They were looking for a ruler to come, a king to come, and overthrow the Roman government, and that is true. That's absolutely true, and in a few weeks, when I talk about how he's the perfect king, I'm going to mention that, but there was also a role of the, mess, the Messiah that they were looking forward to, that they, they, they called him a prophet. So let me show you some examples of, of this here. Um, first of all, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, I know I told you to go to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to get there, okay? Um, and hopefully you had a chance. If I'm boring, you read through it already. But Before we read this together, I I do want to go to to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Towards the beginning of the Bible, uh, it's uh, the the fifth book in, Deuteronomy 18. I wanted you to see this. Okay, this will be page number 161. Okay, so here's Moses, prophet of God. He's leading children of Israel. And then he tells what's going to happen here, okay? Now, what this shows here, the passage I'm going to read here to you, I'm going to point your attention to in a second here, it shows that there always needed to be a mediator between God and man. Always. And look what Moses says. This is in verse 15 of chapter 18 of the book of Deuteronomy, page 161, if you're using the Bibles there. It says this. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in which they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded. Now, in these prophecies that happened, a lot of times there was an immediate fulfillment, but then it pointed to uh, eventual fulfillment. Okay? I don't have time today to kind of go through that, but that's a very common way of doing this. I think that this is exactly what's happening here that we have another prophet that's promised to coming. But it's always in a foreshadow of the prophet to come. And there's evidence that the, the, the people of Israel during Jesus' day, they were looking back to this text, seeing that this was a Messiah that they were waiting to come of, of a prophet that was going to come and deliver the people and be this representative, this mediator between God and man. They were looking for this. Okay? And so this is the anticipation here. Now you say, okay, well you see this text here, but what is the evidence that um, they were actually looking forward to? I have a few verses to put on the screen for you. First of all, John chapter 1 and verse 21, it says this, and this is talking about John the Baptist. People are talking to John the Baptist, and they said to him, they asked him, What then, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. And then he says, are you the prophet? Okay, I don't know if you saw that. The prophet, okay? It's not just, are you a prophet? It was a very definite article. Are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. Now, why would he say no? Because he understood that he's not the Messiah that's coming. He was the forerunner for the Messiah that's coming. That's all what they were talking about here. But it was under terms of the prophet, John chapter 6 and verse 14, this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 here. He says this, and the people, they saw the sign that he had done, feeding the 5,000. They said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. And so this anticipation here shows that people were actually looking for that a prophet was to come. And I'll give you one more example. This is after Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There was division about who Jesus really was in this conversation. John chapter 7 verse 40 says, And when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Okay, And we can go with more examples, but we see that there was an anticipation for a prophet to come in a messianic sense. Okay, And they were waiting for this. And so this Advent season, as we're celebrating the coming of Christ, as we're celebrating this first Advent, looking forward to the second Advent when Jesus comes back, it's good to be reminded that when Jesus came, he was fulfilling very specific roles that is going to impact the rest of humanity. The fact that Jesus is the perfect prophet— is significant to our understanding, not just of our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, but understanding of God's perfect plan that he has been unfolding here. So we saw the role of the prophet. We saw that there's anticipation of that. And of course, as you know, Jesus is that messianic prophet. Jesus is the prophet that people look forward to. Jesus is that one, that perfect prophet that people had this great anticipation for. Now, you say, well, how do you know that Jesus is the perfect prophet? Okay, I don't think I probably have to convince most of you of that because you you probably instinctively believe it, but it's good to walk back and look at evidence and say, this is why. It's not just because you were told this. There's actual true evidence that gives us confidence that Jesus Christ is the perfect prophet, the messianic prophet that the world needed to come into, uh, in in order for God's plan of redemption and salvation to take place. First of all, if I'm going to submit evidence to it, the first evidence that I would submit is that he... Fulfilled, or he met that messianic or that prophetic rubric that I just gave a few minutes ago about the role of the prophet. Now, how did he do that? First of all, he represented God to man, okay? We see that in John chapter seven and verse 16 and how he represented God to man. He said, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Okay? So he was saying that the teaching that I give you is not my own, it's the one who sent me. So he's representing God to man. In John chapter 14 and verse 10, he says. Do you not believe that I am uh, in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And so we see there also in John chapter 14 uh, that the message that Jesus was giving, he was very clear to say, this isn't my message, this is the Father's. Have you ever wondered why that was true? I mean, if we believe in the Trinity, if we believe that God and Jesus are one, why was it that Jesus was so um, careful to say this message is God's? And I'm telling you what God is saying here. Well, there are many reasons for that, many theological reasons for that. But one that I would submit is that because he needed to fulfill the role of the, the definite article, prophet, capital P, In order to be the Messiah, he had to have a prophetic ministry. He had to represent God to man. Okay, And so he fulfills or he meets this rubric in terms of representing God to man. But also, not just in representing God to man, but secondly, he had that foretelling ministry. You remember I told you that at a large level, prophets, they had that supernatural knowledge where they could predict the future and they could say what was going to happen. Jesus meets this as well. John chapter 2, verse 24 to 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We see this, this idea of Jesus knowing what's in the heart of man and this foretelling the supernatural knowledge. After healing the paralytic, and the scribes were thinking that it says it very clearly, after Jesus heals the paralyzed man, that they were thinking in their heart, "This guy is blasphemy." This is how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter nine and verse four. He says, "But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, "Why do you think evil in your hearts?" I mean, he knew their thoughts. This supernatural supernatural knowledge. Do you remember in the story of of the uh, the woman at the well? One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. John chapter 4. Jesus is tired from his journey. He has to go through Samaria, he says. The custom of the day was to go around it. Some of you know that background because they didn't get along. And Jesus goes through. He's tired from his journey, the Bible says. Sits down at the well. Samaritan woman comes. And he asks for water from her... And which is significant in a lot of different ways. And so they, they begin to have this conversation, okay? And in the course of the conversation, um, she mentions her husband. And then he, he says to her, he says, you know what? It's, it's true that you don't have a husband, okay? But you've had five husbands. And the person that you're with, the man you're with right now, is not your husband. Does anyone remember, how does she respond to that? What does she say? Do you remember? Exactly. I perceive you're a prophet. Now, To me, I, maybe I'm reading into, it, it is hysterical to me. I mean, if someone is just telling me my deepest, darkest secrets, okay, or, so, or telling me things that maybe I, they just shouldn't know about me, um, the words that are in my mouth are not, ah, I perceive you're a prophet. Hmm. You know, now, of course, we don't know exactly how she said it. Um, but it 's interesting to me that she recognizes him right there as a prophet that she that he knows things about her that he shouldn 't know because of the supernatural knowledge, not only the idea of this meeting the, the, this rubric of representing God to man doing these, the, uh, or showing that he had supernatural knowledge and this foretelling idea. And then which also he'd give, uh, he told later on, remember, he would talk about um, his own body in the temple being uh, being torn down. He, he predicted his own deaths and things like that. But there was also this, remember I said this, forth telling ministry of the prophet or proclamation of it. And here, uh, Luke chapter 4, we won't have time, uh, I won't take time to turn there, but Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, if you want to read that later on, you just see how Jesus had a ministry where he proclaimed truths. Okay? So on a large level, We have the role of the prophet. We have the anticipation of the Messianic prophet. And we see how Jesus is fulfilling, and he is this Messianic prophet. And the first line of evidence that I submit to you this morning is because he met this rubric that uh, we had set up about the role of the prophet. The second um, uh, line of evidence that we give you that Jesus is this perfect prophet, this Messianic prophet, is that the people recognize Jesus as a prophet. They recognized him in this prophetic ministry as well. Um, Let's see here. Uh, In in Matthew chapter 21, uh, we see this idea of people recognizing Jesus as the prophet. Matthew 21 and verse 10, it says, And when he entered... Jerusalem, this is the triumphal entry, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, okay? And so we see here that he is called the prophet here. At the feeding of 5,000, I showed you these references earlier here in in John chapter six and verse 14, when they saw what he had done, they said, this is the prophet that's come into the world. And so the people were recognizing this. Again, I showed you earlier, John chapter 7, verse 40. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet, okay? So not only did Jesus meet the requirements of being a prophet, but the people were recognizing him as such. That was one of the ways that they said that who he was, they said, here is a prophet, and he's doing a prophetic ministry here. Remember on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples that Jesus had a conversation with after he was resurrected and he hid his identity from them. Remember, as they're talking, and remember, they, they, they're talking about what's going on, and Jesus basically says, hey, well, what are you guys talking about? And they're incredulous. They're saying, what do you mean? Are you the only one here that doesn't know what's been happening the last few days? And he's like, what's been happening? Uh, and so they tell him about it. And one of the things they said to him is that they said, this is, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. And then he said, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And what I want to point out there is that in their minds, in these two disciples' minds, they had a connection between the prophetic ministry of the Messiah and, uh, and the redemption of Israel. Did you see that? They said, we're talking about the prophet Jesus, and we were hoping he was the one to redeem Israel. And so there's this connection here of this messianic uh, activity that in order for someone to be the Messiah that everyone was looking forward to, to redeem Israel... They had to have a prophetic ministry. And they had hoped that Jesus was the one. And he was giving them evidence of that. But also, a third line of evidence that I'll give you finally for that Jesus meets this is that he referred to himself as a prophet. He was very careful to do this. This is where I told you a long time ago to go to Matthew chapter 12. And so now we'll read it. I'm going to read... Um, uh, starting in verse 1, because I'm going to set this up. This is going to be uh, kind of a background or set up for next week's message, and then I'll show you uh, towards the end. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 12, it says this, And at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Okay? So I want to pause here for a second. You see, this is the, remember I told you about the book of Matthew. This is the opposition that Jesus is getting here. And as Jesus responds to these oppositions, uh, these words of opposition, we see that he is, is indeed the Messiah who we need uh, to save us from our sins. And this is one of the reasons why uh, Matthew includes these stories, is, is number one, because Jesus is the promised Messiah. Number two, he was rejected. Number three, how did he deal with that rejection, and what does that teach us about him? Here's a passage, again, another one, that is a common theme, particularly Matthew, about the rejection of Jesus, and it's about his disciples, the people who are following him, uh, doing work on the Sabbath by pulling uh, grains off Uh, In eating them. Now, this was not breaking any uh, real law. But in the Pharisees' mind, who had added law after law after law, it was breaking one of their laws. And they said, well, wait a minute here. This is breaking the Sabbath. Jesus says, verse 3, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat for those who were with him? but only for the priest? Or have you not read the law on how the Sabbath and the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, now pay attention to this next phrase, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now we're going to see a very similar sentence two other times in this same chapter. and We know that there's a point that Jesus is making here by using the same wording. And I tell you, had you known what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice you have not condemned the guiltless for the son of man is lord of the sabbath when he says something greater than the temple is here and Pastor Michael will get into this next week that's talking about the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ now drop down to verse 38 after some different, um, uh, different stories that Matthew includes in there, in this chapter, one, it goes from them accusing the disciples, Jesus' followers, of breaking the Sabbath. Then it goes to an accusation of Jesus himself when he heals someone. Then we see in verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We wish to see a sign from you. Now this is, I mean... He had just healed the guy's withered hand. And they're saying, we need a sign from you. And he says this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than a prophet, or something greater than Jonah is here. That's the prophetic ministry. So earlier, the priestly ministry, the prophetic ministry. And then we're going to see in verse 42 that later on he says, something greater than Solomon is here. So we have three times. Something greater than the temple. Something greater than Jonah. Something greater than Solomon here. We have priest. We have prophet. And we have king right there. That Jesus is saying in this text that I am the Prophet, I am the Messiah that's coming, and one of the ways that I'm proving this to you is that I'm greater than the temple, I'm greater than the priests, I'm greater than the prophets, I'm greater than the kings of this earth. So he referred to himself as a prophet. Due to time, I won't have us go to Luke chapter thirteen, but if you're taking notes, I would write down Luke thirteen thirty-one through thirty-five. Luke thirteen thirty-one through thirty-five. That's when Jesus says that he must go his way. Because uh, um, a prophet, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So he's referring to himself as a prophet there. And then, of course, Matthew chapter 13, when he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own household. Matthew thirteen fifty-seven. When they took offense to him, when they wouldn't listen to him, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. So he's referring to himself as a prophet here. So here we have this evidence. So we first of all, the work that he did while he was on earth, he actually fulfilled the world the role of a prophet. We see that. People, they were anticipating a prophetic ministry uh, uh, for the Messiah and that they thought that he was the prophet to come. Now we see that Jesus himself made it very clear and he was very careful to refer to himself as a prophet himself. And so we see this evidence that Jesus is indeed the perfect prophet and the Messianic prophet. Wow, great data, good information, awesome Christology, would be great, you know, if you, if you have to write a paper on the role of a prophet and things like that. But, what does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter that Jesus is the prophet? Why is that important for you and me to know this about Jesus Christ? And so, in conclusion, I just want to give some practical implications of the prophetic ministry of Jesus Christ. And to do that, go to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we see this. This is page 901, if you're using the Bibles provided for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So here, before I read the next verse, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to leave. He says, but don't, don't, don't mourn. Don't, don't worry about this. In Adult Disciples Power, we talked about the coming of the Spirit of God. And, and, and Wayne mentioned how that it was for our benefit That Jesus goes away. And so this is the same thing that he's saying here. He's saying, don't let your heart be troubled about this. He says, believe in God. Believe in him. Believe in me. He says, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you. And he says, I'm going to do this. Now, the reason why it's so important that Jesus is the perfect prophet is because it means that we can believe in him. We can trust him. Verse six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I, you know, that's one of those verses that people memorize early in life a lot of times if you grew up in a Christian home. But think about the significance of that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so here we have Jesus being the prophet, the perfect prophet. He says that we can believe in him. We can trust him. Now, I didn't take time to do it, but if you were to go back to the book of Deuteronomy... And you would read the laws about prophets. They had ways of vetting to make sure that a prophet was really a prophet in telling the truth. Because people get up and they can say anything. They can just say anything. And so God said, he says, here's what you do. If someone gives a prophecy, foretell an event, wait and see if it comes true. If it comes true, he's a prophet of God. If it doesn't come true, stone him. That would cut down, I think, on the people who would just start throwing things out there of of prophecy saying, oh, this is going to happen. They would only make these statements knowing that, man, if this doesn't come true, I, I mean, I literally am putting my life on the line by saying God is saying this. Jesus is the perfect prophet. Everything he says is absolutely true. You can believe every promise, everything that he has said. So in fact, even in this text, that he says, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. He's telling you the truth there. He's telling you the truth that right now he ever lives. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, why is that so important? Because I told you last week that, that we have an enemy, and in Revelation says that he's in the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. And, and, and I asked, I said, how often he is, is he accusing us? How often is the enemy accusing us before the Father? And the Bible says that it's day and night. Do you remember Job? Do you remember the story of Job? How the enemy goes to, to God and says, the only way that this guy is serving you is because you're so good to him. He's accusing Job. He He's questioning his motives. He's questioning the core beliefs of who he is. And don't you think that the enemy is doing the exact same thing to you and to me, to God. He's going to God and saying, look at him. She calls herself a Christian. Did you see how she spoke to her kids? Did you see that, God? Did you see it? Is she, he's a Christian? No, no way. Did you see him? I mean, he's he's lazy at work. Do you see this guy? He calls himself to be a Christian, and he is cutting so many corners at work. It is not funny. I can't even keep track of it, God. I can't even keep track of it. I, I I've been alive for how long, and I can't keep track of how much of a loser this guy is. You think that that's not happening? It's happening. You think that every time you and I, we respond wrong, the devil's not all over that going to the Father going, see, 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 day and night, day and night, day and night. But the prophet, the perfect prophet, ever lives to make intercession for us. He says, yeah, yeah, she did speak that way to her kids. But look what's going on in her soul right now. She's crying out to God for help. She's repenting of it. Where does that come from? And then, he says, my blood covers it anyway. I died for her. The lazy guy at work, yeah, the spirit, the spirit's going to start working on him about it. He's going to start working on him about it. And he'll start changing. And if he doesn't change, the spirit's going to work a little bit harder and a little bit harder a little bit harder. We got this. Keep accusing, but we got this. You see, everything that Jesus has said is true. And we can find immense comfort in that. And this is why David could say in the Old Testament, he could say, oh, how I love thy law. Now, I've read the Bible, and sometimes the Bible tells me that I can't do certain things, and I want to do certain things. Okay, I know that I'm not. I'm supposed to tr- speak kind words to people. Okay, I know I'm supposed to uh, love even my enemies. But you know, there are moments where that's the last thing I want to do. There are moments where the perfect cut down comes to my mind because this person is being so annoying and so irrational and so, and, 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 and dare I say it, stupid. And so, you know, I just wanted to say it and just just go out there. And the Bible says, don't do it. The Bible says to treat those who, who are harmful to you with kindness. Who wants to do that? I mean, when someone you know, cuts you off on the belt line, you're not like, you know, grace be with you as well. <laughs> no one has that response, right? We want to just suddenly say, wait, what are you doing? Where did you learn to drive? Illinois? You know, those type of things. All that stuff. And I think I've told you this before. I lived in Illinois for 10 years. They say the same thing about Wisconsin. So, um, but they're obviously wrong. So... David, though, says, I love your law. And the law tells us that we can't do things that we want to do. You see, when we believe that Jesus is true, that his prophetic ministry, that everything he said is true, and that the word and he's the living word, when we say it is true, what we can do is and we can actually say, I love your law because even the things that I want to do, the things that I want to do, I know that God is telling me not to do them for my good. He's telling me, don't do this. Don't go down that path. Don't say those things. Don't look at those things. Don't have those thoughts. Don't do those things. He's saying that for our good. And when I believe that God, that Jesus Christ is the perfect prophet, and when I believe that He has accurately represented God to us, and there's no question about that, He's absolutely true, I can say everything you command of me then is good. And I can believe it, and I can say, okay, even though I want to say this right now, even though I want to think this right now, even though I want to look at this right now, even though I want to spend this money or whatever the case may be, I can say it is good if I don't because you're true. You're telling me things that are true. You're not keeping good things from me. It's a practical implication. We can believe him. We can trust him. But because Jesus Christ is a perfect prophet, secondly, we can speak directly to God. Remember, the prophetic ministry was representing God to man. But... One of the roles that, that, uh, that God has given Jesus as a perfect prophet, he says that we can go to God. Remember verse 6 of chapter 14 of John. No one comes into the Father except through me. We have access to God. Now, I was thinking about this and it, it, you know, how we've seen the idea of connectivity change over the years. I remember even when I was a kid how uh, there was one telephone in the house and you had to do the little rotary thing, okay? I remember that. Um, and uh, some of you remember party lines, okay? Remember party lines? You knew everything was going on in your community. Um, I grew up in the city, so that had been phased out by the time I was a kid. Although, I read, I read, you just... side note here. I read about party lines because us pastors have to do some reading on illustrations. And so Wikipedia was helping me understand about party lines. Did you know in Texas they had a plan to phase them out by 1995? 95! I was a junior in high school. They eventually phased them out by 91. Go Texas. But so Telephone connectivity has been changing over the years. I remember that, you know, one line, you're tethered to a wall. I remember the first time my parents in our home, we got a cordless phone. That was a big day. <laughs> we could walk anywhere in the house and talk, anywhere. You see, previously, my dad had just put a phone in every room in the house. I'm not joking. Every room, bathroom included, Okay. We had a telephone in our bathroom. Why? I don't know. <laughs> there were no apps on those phones, okay? <laughs> but it was there, okay? You, I remembered it. There was no caller ID. We had to have a code. I remember if my parents went out of town, they, they went out to dinner or something like that, and my older brother and I were staying home alone, they didn't want us answering the phone. And so they said, if we need to get a hold of you, we'll have a code, it's going to ring twice, I think it was, and then we'll stop, and then we'll call back and ring once, and then we'll stop, and then we'll call back again. So we knew the code. Stick to the code, <laughs> you know. That's the way we could answer the phone. We knew it was my parents calling. Um, but then that changed. Then caller ID came out, and then he had cell phones come out. I mean, we just see the connectivity changing. I remember the idea. My brother and I, I remember my brother and I had seen the Jetsons cartoon saying, Man, wouldn't that be cool to see these video phone calls? We do all this now, okay? It's on our phones. We have all this. It's just increasing. It's different. It's changed connectivity, and communication has changed over time. But, you know, as I thought about that, I thought our communication to my parents or whatever, I remember my mom went out, and, you know, we couldn't get her hold of her until she came back, didn't have a mobile phone. But now we do. We can get a hold of him any time. Isn't that like the prophetic ministry of Jesus Christ? That we, can have, we have access to God at any time. Because Jesus is accurately representing man, God to man, because he is the perfect prophet, That and there is complete communication and perfect communication there. And so you and I have complete access to the Father at all times. And remember, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so you have, here's the practical implication of the prophetic ministry of Jesus, is that you can access the person, the God who created this world, who keeps your heart beating this very second, who the one who given you life, who has given you breath, the person who is all-knowing, the person who is all-wise, the God of this universe. You have access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have it because of Jesus Christ. Take advantage of that. You'll learn to have a running commentary with God all day long. Just learn to be talking to God. You go into about your business, whatever, just, man, Lord, you know, how many was this? Or, or, or God, you know, why are you trying to teach me through this? Or God, why, man, why do you do that? Or man, Lord, look at these decorations. It's so beautiful. I mean, the different colors. You could have made everything, you know, the color fuchsia in this world. Everything but yet you gave us different colors and things. Thank you for that. You know, thank you for all these things that are going on and have a running commentary with God. You have complete access to him. I need to move on. Lastly, here's the last application that I would give you is this. Because Jesus is the perfect prophet, you can live with hope and confidence because he said he's coming back. Jesus says, I'm coming back. And he says in John chapter 14 here, he says uh, um, that he's going to come back and he's going to receive us to himself. We see this every time we take the Lord's Supper and that we're proclaiming this until he comes back. And so the fact that Jesus is the perfect prophet, the perfect one that says, I'm telling you, I'm doing this. We can absolutely trust him. We can live with hope and confidence that he's got a master plan, number one. But number two, that he's coming back. And so any trial that you're in, any difficulty that you're in, is always temporary because Jesus is going to come back and set all things right. And so the difficult days that you're in right now, the long nights that you're in right now, the difficult season of whatever it is, you can just have hope and you can have confidence that your perfect Messiah, the perfect prophet says, I'm coming back and I'm going to set all things right. So this is just temporary. Yes, it's terrible right now, but in eternity you're not going to think that this is very long. You're going to look back and you're going to smile because you're going to see how God carried you through that, and you're going to see how all things will be set right for all eternity. But right now, we can live with hope and confidence because Jesus is true. And he says, I'm coming back. And he does not lie. Our Savior doesn't lie, people. He doesn't lie. And he's coming back for you. So be ready for that. You know, we celebrate the Advent season of Jesus coming and he fulfilled the promise that he was going to come, that God was going to bring a redeemer. We saw this in Genesis chapter three. He says that this is going to happen and it happened. And so we celebrate this Christmas season. But man, look to the second coming of Christ when he sends all things right, and also the, the death and the disease and the pain and the suffering and the injustice of this world will be gone. And not just for a time, not just for two years or 10 years or 400 years, but for all eternity. And because of that, we can look at Jesus, the perfect prophet, and say, I believe, I believe you because you are the Messiah, and I'm so thankful for you, and I can't wait for you to come back and set all things right. And so I have hope and I have confidence today. Amen. Amen. So this Advent season, we need to think about a baby coming. But I want you to not just see a baby in a manger and how cute that is and all that. I want you to see that baby in a manger and say, that is a perfect prophet right there whom I can trust with my whole life. Let's pray. Father, this Advent season, I pray that we would focus on you and that we would worship you, and that we would honor you. We don't have to believe what everyone else is saying around us. We can believe the perfect prophet, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.